Well, I hope you enjoyed that little stroll down memory lane for those of you who've been here for the last year. Brings a tear to my eye as I see the, uh, just the recent event there in those last few slides where we had 330 people here. We had gave out almost 200 school bags to those kids, and we had a lineup of people right to the door. Uh, it's so exciting to see what God is doing uh, in people's lives in creative ways. So uh, that, that, was, that was really special to see that. Uh, I want to share with you just for a few brief moments today, not going to be long, uh, on a very familiar passage uh, that we know from the, the life of Jesus and maybe you're going to see it today in a little bit of a different way, okay? This is from Matthew chapter 16. Uh, those of you who are from a Roman Catholic background, uh, you've heard this before, I'm sure, uh, in a different way. But you're going to hear it today uh, probably in a way that you've never seen before. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 16 starting at, uh, at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, the man who, you know, had his, he was executed because he took a stand on a certain political issue and a person had married someone who they shouldn't have married. And you heard the story of John the Baptist? It, it didn't end well for him. So, so some people said, well, you must be John the Baptist raised from the dead somehow. It's John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, the prophet, has somehow come back. And still others that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Uh, this is a passage that is very confusing. It's a passage that if you're from the Roman Catholic background, this is used to defend the papacy and the idea that Peter was sort of the first pope and now we have a line of popes that succeed him because when Jesus said, you are Peter, the word for that is rock. Uh, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So it's taken to mean that this is somehow to be an extension of Peter. And then we have this binding and loosing and gates of Hades and all kinds of stuff. And people just sort of get confused by the passage. Uh, but I want to show it to you in a bit of a different way as we talk about the church and in particular, uh, this church. One thing the passage teaches, Jesus said, I will build my church, he said. That, that word church is a, is a common word in the Greek language. It's the word ecclesia. It was a known word. It was an understood word. It means a gathering of people. 
It means a meeting of people, an ecclesia. So church, this word ecclesia wasn't a mysterious word. It wasn't like the disciples were saying, what's an ecclesia? Uh, They knew what an ecclesia was. It was a meeting of people. But Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. Ah, so what's his ecclesia about? Well, one thing we know about ecclesia is it's not the building. How many of you know that the church, the idea of the church is it's not a place, right? If the church were a place, if the church were a building, we would be in serious trouble here. This is a movie theater. It's not, I mean, there's nothing particularly religious about it. We've got, no, we've got no crosses on the walls. We've got no beautiful stained glass windows. I mean, we rent a black box. We rent a movie theater on that screen behind me in about two hours. There's going to be some pretty ungodly stuff playing before the, the eyes and ears of people. I mean, we've had times where we've met in this theater, and two hours later, they're playing movies about devils and demons and all kinds of stuff. So the church is not the place, it's not the location, it's not the building. How many of you know that when Jesus returns, he's not coming for buildings, he's not coming for the, the St. Joseph's Oratory, oh, I'll, I want that building, you know, he's not going to take buildings up into the sky where we all look and say, wow, look at that pretty building going up there. No, he's coming for people. The, the church is the people, it's the gathering of people. It's not the location, it's not the building, it's not the bricks and mortar. The church is the people. How many of you know the church is not the day? It's not the day that we meet on, because we meet on a Saturday? Are you crazy? Have you flipped your... Are you messianic? Are you Seventh-day Adventist? Like, what are you? You meet on Saturday? Your church that meets on Saturday? What's what? You don't meet Saturday night, you meet Saturday morning in our fellowship in the pentecostal assemblies of canada i would be so bold to say that i do not know one other church that meets on a saturday morning i don't know of any i know of a few that meet on saturday night you want the cake you have to be quiet right remember (laughs) i know some of them meet on saturday saturday morning are you well that's the way it worked out for us. So we meet on Saturday morning. It's not the day. It's not the, the location. It's not the building. The church is the people that God has called. The ecclesia, it means the called out ones, a gathering of people who are called out for a plan, for a purpose, for a particular reason. It's the people. And I am so thankful for the people that I see in front of me today. I am so thankful. You know, if there were three people sitting in front of me today, I would be so thankful because I'm always invigorated and I'm always recharged when I'm in front of people who want to learn more about Jesus and people who they, they want it. There's something that, that, that's drawing them to God. I'm always invigorated by people like that. So let me talk to you a little bit about people. I am so thankful for the people who are part of this church and the people who have made a decision and have made a commitment to, to be, be a part of this church and to stay 
So you, you go, when, you, when you launch a church, you go through all of this stuff to try and prepare people. You try and build a team. And then you launch the church. And then you, you see who comes. You see who keeps coming. You see who stays. You know, there's a group of people who are here who are, who are sitting in the seats. And you have been here since day one, since before day one. And you've stayed through the whole thing. And you're still here. You cannot build a church. When Jesus says, I will build my church, he cannot build a church without people. People are the church. And when people have a commitment and a consistency to their local church, I'm telling you, those are the building blocks of a community that can be an agent of change in a culture. Uh, and there's this idea around today that, well, you know, uh, that the commitment to the local church is, if I'm, if I'm in the mood, I'll go. If I'm not in the mood, I'll stay home. You know, if it's raining, and usually it means two drops of rain, then I'm staying home. If it's snowing, then I'm definitely staying home. And when that cold comes, there's no way I'm getting out of the house I mean, we have people who come here at 7.15 in the morning. You know, when, it, when, when the weather changes, it's dark when you get up in the morning and you have to be here at 7.15, you know, and there's two and a half people here, two and three quarter people here with their eyes half open, you know, lugging sound gear. That's when you see commitment from people. That's when you see what people say, you know what? This is not like a casual thing for me. This is my local ecclesia. Because Jesus wants to build his ecclesia, and he builds it with committed people. Tom Rainer is, uh, is regarded as a uh, kind of a church growth specialist, a very broad experience in leadership circles, and he researches churches all the time, consults churches all the time. And Tom Rainer has commented uh, and done research on the trend that's around today where basically two-thirds of churches across North America are either flatlined in their attendance or they're dropping in attendance. Two out of three are flatlined or dropping. And this is what Tom Rainer says. He says the reason why that happens is because the people who supposedly it's their church home, they don't commit as much as they used to. The commitment level of the people who are supposed to be there isn't there as much as it used to be used to be that the, that the culture centered around the church and everything was, you know, people went to church often. It was a part of their lives. Oh, you're way too fast. Go, go back. That's why you're all looking up. Okay. You just hold on. <laughs> the, 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 the people. Um, um, where was I? People. <laughs> Commitment. Yeah. So the, 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 the people who are committed are the building blocks that Jesus uses uh, to build the church. And I'm so thankful for the, the people who come and the people who stay. Now you can put those numbers on the screen. Everybody stop paying attention to me when you did that. This is research that was done uh, very recent. Finally, somebody did research on this. Uh, this is Ed Stetzer and Daniel M. from Lifeway Research, and they researched churches from 2005, new churches or church plants, as we sometimes use the language. And I want you to look at those numbers for a second. Uh, you know, we often think of churches and we think of these stories of, oh, the church started from six people in my grandmother's basement. And, you know, two years later, it's at 600 people, praise the Lord. And we hear these stories. You know how rarely those stories happen? 
I mean, that's rare. That's highly, highly unusual that that happens. That is not common. Uh, commonly, what happens is exactly what you see on the screen. So, and, I, and they put the U.S. and Canada. So in the first year, in a Canadian new church, you're going to see an average of 41 people. Not 410 people, 41 people. That's when you see who's committed and who's not committed. In the, in the second year, you're going to see in Canada uh, 51 people. That's in year two. In the third year in Canada, you're going to see 61 people. Now, some people say, well, that's Canada, you know, it, it's a lot better in the United States where everybody is supposedly a Christian, but they're not much better, the statistics, you know, 51, 74, 95. So you, you see who's committed and, you know, who's just, well, coming and going. Do you know what the average attendance of this, of this crazy Saturday morning movie theater church has been in the first year? You know what the average attendance is? 64. 64. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. It's, you know, it's encouraging when you look at numbers like that. Those are real sober numbers. So it's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do to start a new church and to actually see a church uh, grow. Like it's a really difficult thing. That's why Jesus says, I will build my church. He better be the one who's doing it. Because if we're doing it ourselves, and it's going to be really, really, like it, it probably won't grow at all. Uh, and Jesus talked about it being his church. He's the one uh, who's building it. I'm thankful for the people uh, who come and who are committed. I'm thankful for people who your vision is a kingdom vision. It's not just an isolated little tiny little local vision. You have a kingdom vision. Uh, there are a number of people here today, and, and City Reach Brossard is not your local church. You belong to another church. Many of you are from downtown. There could be some people from LaSalle here. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and, and you have a vision that's bigger than your own local assembly. And so you pray for us, uh, and occasionally you give to us. And occasionally you'll come to a, a, a special event or something. You, you're, we're in your minds. We're in your scope of vision because you recognize that the kingdom of God is bigger than yourself and it's bigger than even your own local assembly, you see. And so I'm thankful for people who have that type of vision because I've met both kinds of people. Uh, I've met people who their vision is about their kingdom and I've met people, and their vision is about God's kingdom. Which do you think is better, your kingdom or God's kingdom? Yeah, God's kingdom is a lot bigger and a lot better, but some people, their vision is a little, little box like this, little, little box, right? And, I, and so I'm, I'm so thankful for people who get it. I'm thankful for churches who get it uh, and who see, hey, it's not just about us, it's about others as well. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, people who give. I, 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 you, those of you who know me know that I am not shy about talking about money. <laughs> you, you, most of you who know me know that. Uh, I'm so thankful for people who give. People who recognize, okay, when God owns me, he owns my time and he owns my talent, but he also owns my treasure. 
Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ah, I am so thankful for people who give and people who learn the discipline of giving to the work of God. Because nothing that you do in life, even in church life, works without a connection to money. I, I challenge you to think of one thing in life that doesn't have a connection either directly or indirectly to money. I, just try and think of one thing. It's really, really hard. There's always, it's always, there's a connection, there's a relationship to money. And I am so thankful for people who get that and people who give. Let me show you the giving numbers uh, from the same research, okay? When you, when you start a new church, the goal in terms of the numbers, and I'm not afraid of numbers. Numbers tell you what's going on. Uh, the, the goal in terms of numbers is can the church run? Can the church do ministry? Can the church make an impact without having outside funding from all kinds of other places? Can the church run itself without all of that help? This is what normally happens in year one. The, the red is Canada. The blue is the U.S. I'm not talking Democrat and Republican, okay? This is not an election. The red, <laughs> you got that, didn't you? The red is Canada. The U.S. is, is, uh, is, is blue. 18% of Canadian church plants are financially self-sufficient in year one. 18% compared to 23 in the U.S. Year two, only 3% of Canadian churches are financially self-sustaining in year two. Year three, 5%, year, uh, year four, 5%, year five, 2%, 1%, and it drops down. And you see that if the church is not financially self-sufficient in the first year, it has a harder and harder chance of actually being able to run itself if people are not committed and people are not giving in the first year. That's how, that's how critical the first year is. And it's, it's quite a bit higher, the statistics in the U.S. in this. You get about, uh, if you do the math there, you get about 50% that are self-sustaining by the third of the fourth year, whereas you get a third of them in Canada. Guess where our church is? In the first year, this church has been entirely self-sustaining. In the first year. And we have had, we have had, I could count them on less than one hand, uh, churches that have given to us. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a church in, in Toronto I've never even visited before, never, I've certainly not preached there before. Uh, I barely know the pastor there, barely. And that church has given significant amounts to money, uh, of money to what we do. Uh, there's a tiny little church in the east end of Montreal, tiny church that's been through multiple splits, hasn't had a pastor for almost four years. I preach there fairly often on Sunday mornings to try and help them out. Even that church has given financially to us. And number, uh, like a number that I could count on less than one hand. Uh, that money, we don't, we don't really spend that money. We're able to run because people give on a regular basis. They voluntarily give. They voluntarily donate to the work of this church. That is pretty amazing for the first year. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that the, the network that, that, that supported us and trained us to help, help us start this thing, City Reach Network, gave us money. We gave it back. 
We didn't spend it. We gave it back. We used to take it back. Even our, even our national office of the PAOC gave us money. We said we don't want to give it back. We want the church to learn to run by itself. We don't want to live off the handouts of people. If people want to give us money and they won't take it back, great. We'll put it in something and, you know, if times get tough, we'll dip into it. But who knows, maybe a building will, will, will come in front of us, maybe an opportunity, maybe something where you need a wad of cash. Well, that's what you use that money for. And I'm so thankful for people in this room who get it and people who understand that, hey, God wants to reach people even using money. And God can reach people even using money. I'm so thankful for people who, who get it. I'm thankful for people who use their gifts. People who get involved and do stuff in this church and use their gifts. And sometimes they have to learn it as they go. <laughs> sometimes you give a person a hat to wear. They say, I, it doesn't fit. Well, make it fit. That's what happens when you, when you plant a church. You don't know how to sing? Learn. Overnight, you will learn because you're leading tomorrow. <laughs> you don't know how to do kids' ministry? Learn. How will I learn? Here's some kids. Take care of them. Okay, we're not, we're not that bad. Okay, but, but, you, but when people get involved and people start using their gifts and you, they start to use the abilities that God gave to them, man, that is so exciting. And when you see people do that and they like it and they like doing what they're doing, you say, oh, that's nice. You, you know, you want, you want to hold people like that like until Jesus returns, you know. People getting involved and people using their gifts. I'm thankful for people who let us into their lives. I need to tell you, my wife and I, we, we've had very little sleep over the, the first year. Like, it's difficult to sleep because you're always on our minds. Always. We talk about you all the time. I understand what Paul says when Paul says, who, and Paul, like the greatest church planter of all time, when he said, I, I thank God for you continue. I pray for you continually. I understand exactly what he, what he means because I find myself doing the same thing, you see. And we're so thankful for those of you who have led us into your lives. And we, we've, you know, we've been to hospitals with people. We've, we, we've tried to minister to people who are in, in times, difficult times in their personal lives, personal things where people let us into their lives and we can come in and we can support people. We're so thankful for those kinds of, of moments. Uh, we're thankful for people who are calling this church home who they didn't, weren't really calling any church home before. They were at home. <laughs> their home was their home. You know what I'm saying? And when we opened, they started coming. And they weren't, they weren't really going anywhere before. And now they've, they've started coming. And they start to get involved. And they start to grow. And they start to learn. And they start to use their gifts. You say, wow, that's pretty exciting. That is really exciting to see. Uh, I'm thankful for people who were learning things about God. We've got people who come from different religious backgrounds. And they have to relearn what the Bible says or unlearn some things that they learned before and they start saying, oh, I get it, I get it. God is a God of grace. He's not a God of legalism. He's a God of grace. Oh, I get it. I'm starting to get it. Uh, those kinds of things are, th that, that turns our cranks when those kinds of things uh, happen. And we're so thankful for uh, people and, and what people have done. We're thankful for people who are getting involved in the community. 
This church has a really good relationship with one of the largest food banks in, this, in the entire South Shore now. Um, I'm there every Thursday afternoon. One of our young people got a job there over the summer. You know, we've had a team of young people in there for a day. We had a team go in there for a Christmas outreach that they did. It's an organization where the, the, the leadership is Christian, but they don't, you know, they don't preach to people. But because of that relationship that we have with, with that food bank, that's why we had so many people who came here for our back-to-school bash, because of that connection, because of that they, they respect us, you know, and when we give invitations to them, they're going to take it, you see. And I'm thankful for people who say, hey, we need to be involved in our community. Uh, that's why we meet in a place like this, because it forces us to realize that there's 99% of the province of Quebec that is not saved at all, 99%. And we need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. I'm, th I'm so thankful for that. What did Jesus mean as we conclude uh, with this stuff about the gates of Hades and all that? Can I tell you, I think that we've missed the boat in all of our arguments about Peter and the Pope and not the Pope and all of that. Let me show you a few pictures on the screen as we end here, okay? The, the place where they were was Caesarea Philippi. If you'll show the map on the screen, you guys know I like maps, right? He's the map guy, okay? Most people fall asleep in my maps. We only got two minutes. So Caesarea Philippi is up there in the northeast on the other side of the, of the Jordan River. Jesus never went there, never, except that one time. It, it, that's the only time it's recorded where he took the disciples there to have that conversation. Who do the people say? I'm Caesarea Philippi, nasty, nasty place. Show the next picture. This is what Caesarea Philippi would have looked like, the general area. We're not sure where Jesus was when he mentioned those words. But there's this huge rock there that's at the base of Mount Hermon. Uh, and uh, there, what, what happened there in Old Testament times is Jeroboam I, those of you who were here last week, Jeroboam I set up all the Baal worship on that place. There's all kinds of pagan worship of all kinds of pagan gods in that place. And at the time of Jesus, this is roughly what it looked like. And what you have is kind of a strip mall of all kinds of different gods, okay? It's dominated by the god Pan, uh, I think half goat, half human. Uh, and you've got Zeus and Nemesis and all kinds of stuff there, all kinds of pagan worship. If you read about the place, it was called the Rock of the Gods. It was like Las Vegas, you know? You could choose whatever you wanted there, and it was just this vast array of different gods, and you even can see they carved different places of worship into the rock itself. Go to the next slide. This is what it looks like today, and that the one uh, uh, little temple that you saw on the left-hand side there covered a, a huge, huge cave which uh, it was believed that the pagan god Baal would come and go out of that cave through the water. There's like a bottomless pit in that cave today uh, that they say feeds the Jordan River. It is a beautiful place, Caesarea Philippi, but in Jesus' day, it was an incredibly ungodly place. Like, what in the world are we doing in Caesarea Philippi uh, we're Jews and we're over there and it's like Las Vegas. And this is where Jesus said it. That place there was called the gates of Hades. 
That's what it was called. The pagans believed, again, that there was this bottomless pit and there was water there, and that's where the gods would travel on the water. So when Jesus takes them there and he says, upon this rock I will build my church, I do not believe he wants us to think Peter. He gives Peter the name Petros, which is, which is rock, and then he says, upon this rock. But he doesn't say, upon you, Peter, I will build the church on you, Peter. He doesn't say, you, Peter, will build the church. No, he says, I will build my church. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The idea being, Jesus wants to build his church in ungodly places. He wants to build his church in the Caesarea Philippi's of this world. He wants his, his kingdom, he wants his church to plunder the kingdom of darkness. That's the idea of this. And he plays with the setting, and that's that cave there. And the gates of hell, which they believe that was at the time, will not prevail against the church. So the idea is that the church is going to face opposition the church is going to have to prevail, but the church that Jesus wants to build is one that's in dark places and one that will prevail against the very powers of darkness. Ah, now that is some illustration that Jesus had there when he took those people to that place. I mean, if he's talking about Peter, Peter was not that great of a church planter. Paul was a better church planter than Jesus, than, than, not that Jesus was, than Peter was. Peter had his problems. Even after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he still had problems. Him and Paul had a huge fight, huge confrontation. Uh, so I don't believe that Jesus has in mind that we should somehow be worried about who Peter is. I think he wants us to worry about who he is <laughs> and what Jesus himself is building and what he is still building today, even in a movie theater on a Saturday morning. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. So thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing here. Whatever role you are playing, keep rolling it and keep playing it. There's great days ahead as we strive to reach the one who is far from God.